0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Today, we're going to learn why the German federal state of Baden-Württemberg passed a law on sustainable investing that blacklisted U.S. Treasury bonds as a portfolio holding. My guest today is Arnim Emmerich, head of Treasury in Baden-Württemberg. Emmerich and his team managed 35 billion euros of capital market debt and the state's 10 billion euros sovereign fund for future pension obligations. They also launched the state's green bond program in 2021, and Emmerich has authored a law on sustainable investing defining a common standard for any state entity investing in stocks, bonds, and other financial instruments. I'll welcome on him in a moment. But first, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. If you're tuning in to this podcast, you already understand the crucial role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainability search and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about their latest opportunities, or to get in touch about building your perfect team. Hello, Arnim, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm very glad you could join us today. And I'm going to jump right in. Uh, to the questions that we have. And the first one, of course, is, am I correct in saying that the exclusions of the U.S. Treasury bonds from the Baden-Württemberg portfolio is due to America's failure to ratify a number of treaties in areas, including women's rights and controversial weapons. Is that the case?
1: Um, Paul, uh, I, I um, uh, acknowledge that this question kind of brought me in your uh, podcast, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and but I, I will answer with yes and no, because um, sure. um, uh, the answer is yes, if you refer to the formal uh, rules of the law. Um, uh, we looked for an objective measure of value alignment in the area of sovereign bonds for the issue of sustainability. So um, the most objective we found was to refer to international treaties, referring to the sustainability issues at hand, uh, and then looking at whether a sovereign issuer has ratified the same international treaty as Germany and uh, through Germany also Baden-Württemberg has. And and the United States um, has not ratified uh, a couple of international treaties for various reasons, uh, one is biodiversity, the other is um, anti-person mines, the other is uh, cluster ammunition, and in the Women's uh, Rights uh, Treaty, um, an optional charter has not been ratified by the United States. So that there's a couple of uh, international treaties that have been ratified by Germany and not by the United States. But at the same time, I would answer with no, because, uh, of course, when we developed the law and when it was discussed in Parliament, it was against the back drop of the actual portfolio holdings and the uh, general uh, uh, strategy of uh, investing so far. And in the bond sphere, um, uh, our pension sovereign funds and any other entities have focused historically only on euro-denominated bonds. I see. So U.S. Treasuries being issued in U.S. dollars and coming with the exchange risk Uh, rate risk um, were not included in any of the portfolios. So uh, on the one hand, yes, um, the rule would exclude the United States as an issuer. On the other hand, no, because we actually did not have to exclude any Uh, um, uh, bond or sell any bond because of that, because we didn't have uh, U.S. Treasuries in the first place. And what's also important to note, and you will maybe come to that later, uh, this is only regarding sovereign issues for sovereign uh, bonds. It does not exclude uh, companies from the United States, corporate bonds uh, or stocks.
0: Okay, but that's still... um, uh, um Leaves the door open, if you will, to uh, issues, sovereign issues from other parts of the world. Is that something that you and your team need to be aware of and focused on, um, not just limited to the United States, but let's say yeah. um, like from Singapore or from other com- uh, countries, other sovereign issues in the, the Middle East or in Asia, those things need yeah. to be considered, correct?
1: Certainly. And, uh, and we did have uh, some euro-denominated bonds from uh, countries that have uh, not ratified some treaties that now have to be sold because of the law. Um, it's not a huge share of our portfolio, but there are uh, um, um, some bonds that we now sell because of that.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for that information. I think that will help our, our listeners uh, be more clear about what the, the guidelines really are for your, your debt portfolios. Um, now, your regional parliament recently voted for a law that you proposed that defines minimum standards for sustainable investing. If you would, please explain the key aspects of this law for our listeners.
1: Yeah, maybe a small specification for the start. I have um, authored it as a a state employee, um, but of course the initiative came from the political sphere uh, and uh, the current ruling government uh, of the Green Party and the Conservative Party that have agreed on such a law in their coalition treaty. And it was my job and my team's job to then um, implement uh, the general idea and 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 come up with a law that specifies the political will uh, um, that was formulated before. Um, and I'm I'm glad to to kind of um, summarize this law for you and your listeners. Um, on an abstract level. What the law does is really it changes the mandate for asset managers that work for us or uh, any of the state entities that invest more than a million euros. Um, Because so far, basically, the magic triangle was uh, the rule um, that uh, guided investing, uh, being return risk and liquidity. And it's called the triangle because there's trade-offs between these three and the asset manager and asset owner has to decide you know uh, how to manage these trade-offs, and uh, um, now we basically changed this to a ma- magic square, you might uh, say, uh, where there's one more corner which is sustainability, um, and that is the most uh, fundamental shift because uh, it's very different for asset manager to uh, optimize um, the magic triangle and then have a you know additional criteria of uh, sustainability. Uh, because in case of trade-offs then return risk always wins um or if you uh, in, implement it in the mandate and it's you know on equal footing with return and risk and and and, and the trade-offs have to be managed uh, directly and that enables to also maybe sometimes you know forgo some return uh, uh, or expected return uh to 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 reach better sustainability outcomes um Specifically, the law then breaks this down uh, on, on uh, different aspects of sustainability. And I just would want to highlight maybe three uh, major aspects. Um, one is um, climate change. And for the issue of climate change, uh, the law um, stipulates um, uh, decarbonization pathway. So it stipulates for the portfolio to decarbonized with respect to the scope 1, 2, and 3 um, greenhouse gas emissions by 7% annually uh, on average. And this decarbonization is roughly in line with the IPCC scenarios for the 1.5 degree scenario um, that has been agreed uh, upon in the Paris Agreement. Um, the second aspect is uh, on environmental sustain- sustainability, there is um, a tilt or preference formulated in the law for companies that have a higher share of, I could call it green turnover. So uh, turnover with solutions for environmental challenges. And thirdly, um, we have exclusions um, for Uh, fossil energy on the one hand, which is linked to the 1.5 degree scenario. And on the other hand, for any company that is um, assessed to be in significant obstruction with one of the um, 17 um, sustainable development goals of the United Nations. And that includes the social aspects like health and poverty.
0: Okay. So now uh, my impression from what you've just said is that there are differences among the member states of the eu that might come into play with this kind of law related to the companies that are uh, are, are from those those states mm-hmm. is that true because i think what um, what investors in america often perceive is that the eu operates as a unit, as one unit, Mm -hmm. when it comes to investment strategies related to sustainability. But it sounds like there's a lot of diversity even within the EU.
1: Um, Paul, you're certainly right. Um, And um, uh, I would say um, there, there will be more discussion around that. In the regional parliament, really, the first questions were, does this affect companies from our region? Um, so uh, um, and and we said from the beginning it can't be, you know, a criterion uh, for this kind of uh, law whether uh, a company in this field is active here or not. Uh, so there are companies from Baden-Württemberg that now cannot be invested in. Um, uh, that and then of course you're true. Uh, yeah, you're right in terms of uh, other EU countries. Um, certainly, maybe the industry structure or the c- type of companies you find are different uh, from country to country, and certainly also the governance and uh, social uh, standards that go beyond uh, the EU law uh, differ between the countries, and that might have effects on, uh, on whether there are more or less companies excluded from, from certain uh, member states.
0: Okay. Well, thank you again for the clarification there. Uh, Now, uh, a political question. Uh, Was there or is there on an ongoing basis, uh, political discussion and and even opposition to a law like this, Uh, not necessarily of the kind that we're seeing here in the US, but uh, within the uh, EU political infrastructure, I'm sure that there's lots of, uh, of opinions about this type of development. Is that the case?
1: um that's certainly the case paul um, um maybe i can start with the debate uh, in the regional parliament and I, I give you a flavor of of the arguments that were coming up there and then i can also comment a little bit on on germany and the eu level which 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 is even more complex i would say
0: well that would be very um, helpful thank you
1: um on a regional level the um the parliament has discussed the law so the government proposed it the ruling coalition as i mentioned uh, green party and conservative party has proposed the law and then the opposition um, discussed it with the government in parliamentary hearings and um, in the end three opposition parties are in the parliament one party actually withheld the vote but expressed um, positive uh, acknowledgement of the law publicly and Two parties were voting against it, um, but for different reasons. One party is the, the, the I would say, radical right party uh, in, in Germany, the alternative for Germany, which opposes climate change So, uh, in the first place. So they, they, they don't believe in climate change, or if they do, they say, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. So the foundation of uh, a major part of the law is already put in question. And, and then they uh, just generally oppose most of what the government is doing. Um, and, and then there's a second party uh, that, that, that's the Free Democrats, that's uh, market liberal, I would say. Uh, and they oppose it, um, it mainly for budgetary concerns um, that it could uh, reduce returns and then affect uh, budgets in the future. Um, And then there was also in the parliamentary debates, there were also specific discussions, not around the law um, as a whole, pro or con, the entire law, but uh, with regards to specific uh, rules in the law. Uh, So one was uh, green genetic engineering, where there's a debate around whether that's um, still a sustainability risk like. Uh, You know, Monsanto uh, uh, and and its um, um, main product that really makes also farmers dependent uh, and so on, Um, that certainly is seen critically and the new technologies that might actually add to sustainability. So there was a really uh, 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 intense debate on that. There were debates around fossil gas because, as you might know, we now uh, built LNG terminals because we had to, you know, substitute uh, Russian gas in Germany. And at the same time, the law um, uh, has a, a exclusion for companies with more than 50, uh, more than 50% turnover from fossil gas. And um, that were the kind of, you know, specific discussions that were going on. So, if you ask me, compared to the debate in in the United States. The regional debate was still more a factual debate that you know uh, you can also engage as someone that's involved in the topics, because politicians actually were you know debating relevant aspects. Um, uh, if you discuss about return effects or impact, or uh, you know certain technologies, all these debates are valid in my eyes, and I think it's good that they they, they take place in parliament. And especially because this, in this case, the asset owner is the state, the parliament also in the end is the uh, um, um, institution that has to decide on certain value judgments. So I think it's it's good that debate is taking place and it's also normal that there are differences on, on, of opinion and judgment on, on these specific issues. What we don't have so far is this kind of camp building, you know, that ESG is either bad or good. That 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 I observe in the United States, um, and I hope we never get there because um, because it's pretty much everyone that's in the finance sector knows that a part of ESG uh, analysis is just good investing, and, and and then there's the question: what goes beyond that? Whether uh, you know an investor wants to go beyond. Uh, things that uh, really affect cash cash flow projections uh, in the end for for, for stocks or um, and, and companies or not, and and there it becomes you know a, a value debate, but but uh, to ju- just put it in two camps just uh, is not really giving justice to the to the uh, to the topic.
0: Well, thank you very much for that explanation. I, obviously, it's a, there's a much broader dialogue going on than most investors and or even financial advisors in the U.S. are aware of within uh, the – the states of a country like Germany, for example, uh, and that, that's really helpful to, 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 for you to clarify that for us. Now, you've also been integral in launching a green bond program for the state of Baden-Württemberg in 2021. Uh, what was the rationale for the state government to issue green bonds, and how is that program going?
1: Thank you for that question. Um, uh, basically, now I'm changing sides from uh, being an investor to being an issuer, and we actually started on the issuing uh, side um, to to you know look more into the sustainable uh, finance uh, market. And for us as an issuer, um, the green bond was just a very good uh, tool to showcase. Um, to the global capital markets, what they are buying w- if they invest in a, uh, in a sovereign bond or in our case, a SSA bond uh, of the state of Baden-Württemberg, because we were always convinced internally that uh, ac- the activities of uh, a state, uh, especially the state of Baden-Württemberg are, are very much oriented to, towards sustainability, that there's very many um environmental aspects we're investing in as a state but also social aspects like you know uh, education and and the like and uh, so there should always have been interest in any uh, from sustainable investors in our bonds but um uh, as always in markets you also ha- have to have some way to communicate that um and we decided uh to to use the green one to do that and and to broaden our investor base, um, but also to be a showcase um, maybe for other regional governments or regional companies to also think about Green Bonds. Um, and also as an internal um, um, steering mechanism because the Green Bonds uh, has quite high standards for projects to qualify for it internally. So uh, it also gives um, a feedback into the organization to care more about uh, impact evaluation, for example.
0: So now, Arnim, how has the green bond program been received by investors at this point, both within the state of Baden-Württemberg and elsewhere in the world?
1: Uh, so far, I can say we're, we're quite happy, and uh, we started uh, with a, a sub benchmark size of three hundred million in the first bond. Then we had one with, with three hundred fifty, and this year, we had, in June we uh, were. Benchmark size uh, for the first time with 600 million. Uh, The size basically is linked to the amount of projects and expenditures that we can identify and document uh, on this high standard. So that shows that we have a development also on the expenditure side. Um, And the demand was uh, was good in all three issuances. Uh, In the last one really uh, surpassed any expectations. We had uh, eight times... uh, um, more demand than we had um, uh, uh, issued Um, we had 120 125 uh, i think uh, investors in the book Um, uh, it was a very international book which for us as a a regional um, issuer was um, you know a big improvement Uh, historically we had a lot of you know quite german investors maybe some austrian and and now we, we really covered uh, international investors. We had uh, American investors, we had um, um, uh, Middle East investors, and we had a lot of EU investors from Scandinavia, from uh, Netherlands and so on. So that was uh, very good um, market feedback and, and it enabled us also to, to reach you know, uh, financially attractive terms um, in all these issuances.
0: That's terrific. So very briefly, how was the uh, the pricing uh, uh, affected by that, by by the greater demand than you actually had bonds to issue?
1: Yeah. Um, You might have heard of uh, of the term greenium for uh, for green bonds, uh, and there's a lot of um, uh, research on that. And of course, we try to identify that uh, also in our case. Usually we had uh, um, one to two basis points greenium, so we could price one to two basis points tighter than we usually could uh, in, in bond issuance of a similar size. Of course, uh, in our case, it's, it's not a clear-cut comparison because you can only compare to secondary market curves. Uh, Germany issues uh, green bonds uh, and always has a twin uh, as a conventional bond, so they can you know, prove uh, the greenium every time. Uh, in our case, it's based on secondary market estimates. of, um, but, but based on that, we had one to two basis points advantage.
0: I see. Well, Arnim, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate you, you spending a, a, a moment with us uh, to help us clarify for our investors and advisors here in the U.S. how these programs are working in the EU, and especially in your case in Germany. Where online can listeners find more information about the federal state of Baden-Württemberg's capital market and pension portfolios and how can they get in touch with you regarding questions that they have about the topics that we've discussed in today's episode?
1: So getting in touch with me is easy in times of uh, social media. Uh, just uh, find me on LinkedIn, and uh, I, I answer to uh, any contact requests uh, and messages I receive there. Um, and regarding the GreenBond program, there's a specific site, green minus bond minus b uh, w GreenBondBadenWürttemberg.de, and um, there's all the uh, information that um, investors need, um, GreenBond Framework, investor presentation, and so on. Um, on the pension side, we have some German information online, but uh, I would rather refer to LinkedIn if, if there are questions regarding that.
0: Terrific. Okay. Well, thanks again to Arnim Emmerich, Head of Treasury for the Federal State of Baden-Württemberg in Germany. And for our listeners, if you're ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the Acre website to get in touch. With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability becomes more than a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast.